You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Direct from our central London studio, here's your host, Lori Havelock. This week on the Ticker Podcast, why your CEO is the best bearer of bad news on Twitter, what the rise of passive investment might mean for IR, and could ExxonMobil be in trouble? Welcome back to Ticker Podcast. It's a weekly roundup of the top stories from around the world of investor relations. Uh, this week, we're back in the pod studio after being a bit shell-shocked from Bonfire Night last night, but I'm with Tim Heumann, Condi Simonpetit, and Garnet Roach. Hi, guys. Hi. Other than the kind of firework war zone I think most of us sat through last night, and one of the most interesting bits of news, which uh, Tim picked up today, was this. Uh, two female contestants from this year's The Apprentice have said that negative reports about fights between them are undermining women in business. The altercation took place uh, over a car selling contest, I'm led to believe. Um, and uh, one of them said, uh, the, bizarrely enough, the preview for the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 this week. That, you know, that hotbed to make a real point about a game show. And uh, they said, they were just talking about a car. It really undermines women in business. They just want to portray us as catty creatures that argue with one another. We're actually so much more than that. Which I would, you know, definitely agree. Maybe The Apprentice is not the best place to get a well-rounded view of women in business. Yeah, no, that, that was my that was what I thought about it. I mean, the, the, the sort of assumption there is that stuff on The Apprentice is somehow representative of business in one way or another, <laughs> when, when clearly it's just an exercise in who can rip off the public the most each week and bring as much cash back to Alan Sugar as possible. I think that's what business is about for Alan Sugar, isn't it? Scathing review. <laughs> yeah, and potentially for Donald Trump as well. I don't think he's as, as scrupulous as businessmen either. No, no. I always feel sorry for the, the poor customers that get roped in by the apprentice, the apprentice um, teams and end up with just whatever like absolutely awful service they were offering. I don't watch it. Is it the one where the guy says, uh, you're fired? Exactly, exactly. Oh, I, I, thought that's, I like that. I thought <laughs> that's what happened. I was, I was brought up to believe that's what happened when you got fired from a job. You got hauled up in front of someone like Alan Sugar and told to told where you should go in front of a tv crew yeah and all of your uh, work colleagues stab you in the back first before that happens yeah absolutely they'll put yeah. the foot in and say well actually i was disgusted they only sold 29p's worth of pork pies whatever they're selling this week i prefer the dragon's den it's more fun well uh, anyway there's a bit of slightly more realistic news about um, a ceo this week at least it's not alan sugar um a study at the university of illinois about tweeting from the c-suite garnet i believe you've been looking a bit more at this story I have. Um, and actually, the University of Illinois has done some research um, looking at how CEO tweets can lessen the impact of negative financial news, which is obviously good news for anyone with anything bad to say. They found that tweets from the C-suite can produce more trusting relationships with investors, and their research shows that investors are apparently more willing to invest and show higher levels of trust when a firm CEO shares negative financial news via Twitter than when it is disclosed through other traditional channels. These direct tweets from the CEO can also help to build a more enduring form of trust, they say, which means that investors tend to discount the negative news as a one-time event. The study looked at the responses of 194 senior business students to negative news, which was disclosed via the website and Twitter from either the IRO or the CEO of a fictional company. The business students then graded how attractive a proposition the stock was and how likely they were to invest in it. Brooke Elliott, professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, says that the research was born out of conversations with social media managers at listed companies. She says, quote, They express concerns about CEOs tweeting out off-the-cuff information because they don't have control or it hasn't been run by legal. Because of that, they'd been very resistant to let the CEO disclose anything through his or her personal account. As well as CEO tweets, it turns out that the company website is also a good option, especially if you've got repeated negative news to share. There's evidence, they say, that investors... 
As evidence, they say, that investors reading repeated negative information from a firm's IR Twitter handle are less willing to invest than those receiving the same disclosure from a company's website. How interesting. So what does that mean for IROs who maybe you know, have the keys to their their Twitter account. Well, Brooke highlights one good takeaway, um, which she says is to have your CEO establish a Twitter account and simply tweet already scripted information from a press release. Obviously, that's not a new approach, um, but it is something that she describes as very low risk. The benefits of having the CEO tweet in this way could work for any type of company, she adds. She says, quote, it's about developing a perceived relationship with the person tweeting, your CEO. When management responds directly on social media, the kind of trust that develops is like they've had a face-to-face interaction with the inquirer. The medium is very different from any others previously used by firms to communicate because they don't allow for the same level of personal interaction and for that trust to develop, she adds. Well, there you go. Have they got any uh, other studies they're going to go through on Twitter, you know, similar stuff as well? They have. Uh, They are looking into a few other aspects of the relationship between capital markets and social media. And Brooke says that she is now, along with one of her co-authors, Steph Grant, examining, quote, whether allowing investors to directly interact with a manager when they're trying to determine the value of a firm has any effect on the market price efficiency. It's quite an interesting like, survey and interesting results, but they probably need to think about it a bit more than just putting together some uh, you know, pre, pre-written statements and tweeting it out under the CEO's name because what are you going to do next? I mean, what happens when people start asking questions and, and so on? It could all get a bit messy. I mean, you just need someone to look after it. Preferably, you need the CEO to spend quite a lot of time on it, I guess. I think that's the point in the study, isn't it? The point made in the study, rather, is that it's about, it's about developing that that bond of trust rather than rather than having them... The point of the thing isn't to say they have to tweet out one line from the press release. It's saying, wouldn't it be great if the CEO could spend time talking to investors on Twitter? I mean, Tim, as the, as the, the high, highest-ranking member of the Ticker podcast, are you going to be tweeting select disclosures for us in the upcoming future? Or just getting one of your um, three underlings to do that for you. <laughs> I, you know, I think we should all be on, on Twitter, shouldn't we? I think we most of us have Twitter handles going. Yes, most of us. Yeah, most of us, Garnet. Nobody wants to hear what my pre... I think pre- they do. <laughs> There's an audience waiting out there for you, Garnet. You just haven't found them yet. But moving moving quickly on, and Condice, you've picked out a couple of headlines this week, not just one, but two uh, stories that you found interesting. Can you tell us a bit more? Yes, well, we, we've heard of uh, investment banks poaching IROs to offer IRO advice to their DR clients. For example, um, at our last think tank in London, we listened to Lisa Williams, who used to be Debenham's uh, IRO and who's now head of IR for the EMEA region at uh, Citi. In the US, Citi hired um, Dennis Walsh, a consultant at Sharon Merrill, and uh, the former president-elect of uh, Neary Boston. Well now, in an unusual move, ICR, a communications consultancy based in New York, has announced it was branching out into brokerage uh, with a, a new entity called ICR Capital, that will be headed by former investment bankers. So what will this new subsidiary be offering? So ICR Capital says um, they will be providing expert advice on, quote, a range of activities including banker selection, due diligence, strategy, capital sourcing, and marketing transactions to the investment community. So um, it will be interesting to see if other consultancies will follow this trend because um, most of them are actually happy to get business referred by brokers when deals take place. So they will certainly think twice before becoming actual competitors. And then speaking of due diligence, I hear there's one company who may not be doing the best of, best of jobs there and might be in a bit of trouble. Yes, indeed. ExxonMobil is um, being investigated by New York's attorney general because the company may have lied to investors about risk related to climate change. Apparently, data going back to the 70s shows that ExxonMobil scientists may have known about the climate change risks presented by the burning of fossil fuels, 
and even related the information to the board in 1977. But what the, the company actually did was uh, to not only fail to disclose the information to investors, but uh, also fund lobbies denying climate change was actually happening. Oh, that's not a good combination, is it? Yes, and ExxonMobil uh, might not be the only one in trouble. Peabody Energy, the world's largest coal producer, is also under investigation over whether it properly disclosed risks to investors on issues related to climate change. And the New York Times has revealed that the, the investigation may be extended to other energy firms. And what does ExxonMobil have to say now? Now it's been kind of found out. Well, the company said in a statement, we unequivocally reject allegations that ExxonMobil suppressed climate change research contained in media reports that are inaccurate distortions of ExxonMobil's nearly 40-year history of climate research that was conducted publicly in conjunction with the Department of Energy, Academics, and the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So, affaire à suivre, as we say. Well, I don't think ExxonMobil are going to come out of that particularly well, but I guess it's quite hard to, you know, prosecute a company for information they may or may not have known 30 years ago, which with the value of hindsight we now know to be quite bad but no it seems it seems quite quite a i know strange story to if anyone can do it eric schneiderman can do it <laughs> he's your favorite schneiderman schneiderman does whatever schneiderman can <laughs> exactly <laughs> well look maybe uh, one thing that we can we can task mr schneiderman to, to solve is uh, what seems to be the problem of the uptick in passive investment in the world tim i think this is a problem you've been looking into Yes, uh, a new survey came out last week about passive investment and uh, the impact it could have on shareholder company engagement. Uh, this is an interesting and potentially slightly scary area for the IR profession. Um, over the last several years, we've seen a big inflow of money into passive investment strategies and away from active ones. You know, so into things like index investing, also exchange-traded funds, other computer trading strategies. So last year, it was estimated that 100 billion in assets uh, left actively managed funds, while 160 billion entered passive ones. So this poses a question for IROs. I mean, they spend their time trying to convince investors to be interested in buying their company's shares. But um, the pool of investors who make regular buying and selling decisions appears to be shrinking. Uh, so what did the results of this, this new survey say? So the survey in question was from Hermes Investment Management. Um, it polled over 100 institutional investors and found more than half think the growth of passive investing will have a negative impact on shareholder engagement. Uh, the spread of these low-cost strategies will, quote, cause large shareholders to become distanced from many of the companies they invest in and forego voting rights and stewardship opportunities, state the authors. The study argues, however, that passive investors should engage more, not less, with companies because engagement is, quote, the only tool passive investors have to improve the value and manage the risk of the companies they invest in. So what does the, the IR industry think of this finding? Well, I think most people in the IR industry would agree that there are many uh, important reasons for investors to stay engaged with companies, regardless of if they are traditionally passive investors or not. I mean, for a start, most institutions do remain engaged in areas like corporate governance, even if they are you know, big uh, index tracking funds, for example. And as um, Hermes points out, if they aren't going to sell, then in a way they have even more of an incentive to be focused on how the company is run. Uh, Brad Allen, our, our columnist and a former IRO, had a look at this issue in our recent fall edition. Uh, he noted a couple of other reasons why the growth of passive investing shouldn't be viewed uh, too negatively. Uh, first of all, he pointed out that active equity management is never going to go away. It's always going to be there. People are always going to be needed to do targeting. Um, he also believes that companies will need to become specialists in the way they're being traded within the passive investing world. So what basket of shares are they in? Should they be in? Are they in the right indexes and so on? And are they in the right indices and so on? And so that's a new role that the IRO can potentially fill. 
so there are reasons to be positive despite what can seem as the, uh, the worrying expansion of passive investing. So we're not going to do away with the IR function just quite yet? No, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully. That might be problematic for us as well. Yes, hopefully we and everyone listening will still have a job in the, in the near future, <laughs> is what we can say. I mean, obviously robots are going to take away all of our jobs eventually, oh, yeah, but obviously. that's not just IR. <laughs> After robo-advisors, robo-IROs. The only next step. Well, there was a study recently saying that robo-advisors were going to steal uh, billions of business from um, financial advisors. So our robo-IRO is going to steal <laughs> the jobs of millions of IROs. There was, there was one that, didn't, didn't we all have a go with it? Um, there was a story on CNBC, I think, a while back, um, where they had a robot write a news story, um, yes. financial news story. And wasn't it, it was called something bizarrely quite like Hermes, wasn't it? I can't remember the name of it. But yes, and we, we all had a go at it and it was actually quite good at, yeah. at writing a pretty decent news story. Yeah, you, I reckon you could, you could cut out some time. You could use it for the, the basics and mm. then just kind of add in a few little flair of your own, you know. It's funny, I think we all assume that robots replacing our jobs means that we're all going to be pointless and, and poor and destitute. But actually, I think it just means that we'll all be incredibly rich because we all have a robot to do all the boring stuff. Leave humans to live a life of, you know, Wally-esque luxury, if you've seen yeah. that film. We'll be on a cruise ship for the rest of our lives. Well, anyway, if we haven't been replaced uh, by this time next week, we will be back then. Um, if you have, hear a robotic voice, you'll know that the overlords have risen up. Um, thanks, guys, for joining me this week, late on on a Friday. And we will all see you next time. Cheers, Laurie. Thank you, Laurie. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.